0: Bye. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Eagle Church. Really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. I want to say a happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Uh, Every year around Thanksgiving, I try to spend some time and thank God for the good things that he's done in my life. And this year, one of the things that I was the most grateful for was each of you. I just feel so fortunate to teach at a church that encourages me and doesn't make me feel like I have to be perfect and loves God and other people the way that you all do. In fact, sometimes I'll be listening to someone from our church talk being on a video or just face-to-face, and I will catch myself sometimes and go, I can't believe I get to be one of the pastors at the church that they attend. So, So so thankful for each and every one of you. If this is your first time here at Eagle Brook Church, we're really glad that you're with us today. I want you to know this is a safe place. It doesn't matter if you have a long history with church or if this is your first time ever to church. In fact, maybe you have some preconceptions about what Christians are like and what church is like, And some of those preconceptions might not be all that positive, and that's okay. We're just really glad that you're here. This church is filled with imperfect people who struggle with the exact same things that you struggle with. So we're not going to make you recite any prayers. I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you answer a question. You're not going to have to know any insider lingo. We just simply hope that you walk away from today having genuinely experienced God in your life. In fact, today's message, we're kicking off a brand new series called What Keeps You Up at Night? And I love that title because I've never met a person who doesn't have at least some stress, anxiety, or problem that from time to time keeps them up at night. Now, there's all sorts of things that could keep you up at night. In fact, I don't know if you knew this or not, but every year, 150 people die from falling coconuts. 150 people every year. This is such a problem that they've even had signs made up to warn you of this, okay? Here's a sign. It says, beware of falling coconuts. If you see this sign, you need to immediately take cover because apparently there are coconuts shooting like bombs out of the tree, right at your head. And dad, just remember, don't drop the lollipop, okay? You got to hang on to that. Your kid doesn't have one, but you have one. And apparently you're not letting it go even when coconuts are shooting at your head. That could keep you up at night. Here's another unexpected death that you've probably never even considered. But in London, England, in the early 19th century, a giant vat of beer exploded, sending a 15-foot wall of beer cascading down the street and drowning seven people. Some of you are like, well, if you got to go, Right. But that's another unexpected thing that could cause you to lose sleep. But here's the deal. Those aren't the kinds of things that keep us up at night, are they? The kinds of things that keep us up at night are not the unexpected, it's the daily. It's things like fear. Fear that you won't be good enough, fear that you won't have enough. It's things like kids. If you're the parent of a toddler or a newborn, your kids are keeping you up at night. Parents of teenagers will tell you, it doesn't get any easier They lay awake wondering when their teenager is going to come home and be safe so they can finally go to sleep. And so those are the kinds of things we're going to talk about in this series. Next week's message is fear. The weekend after that is kids. But today's message is titled, What Keeps You Up at Night? Conflict and Criticism. Don't raise any hands, but how many of us here would say that over the last month or so, you've had some conflict with another person, that you've been criticized by somebody, my guess is that all of us would have our hands up in the air. For instance, I was talking to a guy recently who was telling me about this custody issue that he's having. He wants to move to a different town. His ex-wife doesn't want him to move, and they're not able to work it out. So the kids are getting involved. It's going to court. It's getting ugly. Some of you know what that's like. You have an ex who is a constant source of conflict in your life. Others of you would say, you know, it's, it's my former best friend. Not sure how it happened or why it happened. I mean, at this point, it doesn't even really matter. But words were said, conflict happened, and you lost one of your best friends. You hardly speak to them at all anymore. Others of you would say, you know, it's my roommates. My roommate freshman year of college was a piece of work. And he would have said the exact same thing about me. If you have roommates, you are going to have conflict. And then what about online conflict? We even have phrases today like Twitter beef. I've never been in a Twitter beef before, but I've seen people having conflict and criticizing one another online. I've also seen it on the freeway. People say phrases like, you know, I was battling rush hour. It's like, it's a, it's a war zone out there. And when you get into the garage, that's your safe haven. A lot of conflict takes place at 70 miles an hour on the freeway. And then finally, there's marriage. A couple of months ago, my wife was in the kitchen when she got a phone call from our insurance agent, and I happened to be standing right next to her, and all of a sudden, she goes, wow, oh my, oh, wow, wow, wow. I said, what's going on? She covered up the receiver, and she said, our insurance went up by $600 a year because you have a speeding ticket and a traffic light violation. That's disputable, by the way. But she just kept going on, wow, wow. And so finally I got annoyed. And I did something that no husband should ever do. I called upon my old friend, Mr. Sarcasm. And so while she was on the phone, I started to go, wow, wow, ooh, wow, look at that over there, ooh, wow, oh my, wow. (laughs) And so when she got off the phone, she goes, why are you being such a jerk? I said, I was gonna say the same thing to you. And we had a little bit of conflict. The next day, Sarah called me up on the phone. She goes, you won't believe what just happened to me. I said, please tell me you got a ticket. I didn't care if our insurance went up by $1,000 a year. I was praying to God to make this happen. She said, well, I got pulled over. Police officer approached her car, said, ma'am, where are you going? She said, I'm late for my son's football game, but, you know, no excuse, I was speeding. Police officer kind of peeks in the car, he sees my son Hudson with his football pants on, and so he goes, hey, what, what time's your game at? Hudson goes, three o'clock. He said, do you know your coach's name? Hudson said, yeah, sure, it's, it's Mock. He said, well, what team are you playing today? Do you know the team of the, the name of the team that you're playing? Hudson says, yeah, we're playing the Blaine Lightning today. Police officer goes, that's my son's team. And so he turns to my wife. He goes, I'm going to let you go to get to the game. But then he turns to Hudson and he goes, go easy on number 11. And she didn't get a ticket. That is not fair at all. But here's my point. If you are married, you are going to have some conflict in your life. How do people deal with conflict? Well, there's many different kinds of ways. Some of us are what I would call an avoider. You just avoid conflict. You don't deal with it. So you might say something you know, in passive-aggressive form. You might give the silent treatment. But your mantra is mostly, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to deal with that right now. I'm just going to avoid this issue and hope it goes away on its own. They're the avoiders. Another group of people might be labeled as spewers. You tend to think that the loudest person wins. And so you yell and you rant and you rave and you attack and you get defensive and, and you spew a little bit. And then there's those of us who are the worriers. How many of us worry about conflict with other people? You say things like this, you know, you think she was upset about that? I mean, She looked a little funny when I, sh- when I said that. I texted her three minutes ago. She doesn't text me back. I mean, I I think she's probably upset about something. I mean, and you just worry about conflict. You worry about disappointing people and upsetting them. It keeps you up at night. Not only does it keep us up at night, but according to health experts, conflict-related stress is one of the number one causes of sickness. In fact, there was a recent article in the New York Times that reported on a study that was done at Ohio State University's College of Medicine. They took newlywed couples, and they put them in an environment where they made them talk about potentially volatile issues, like house chores, sex, in-laws, that kind of thing. While they were talking about this, their blood was being drawn. This is a little, little creepy, but as they talked, here's what these researchers found. The more they began to have conflict, the more their immune system began to decline. What they found was that there's a direct correlation between your health and conflict. Another study done at the University of Utah by a psychologist named Timothy Smith. Smith studied couples who had been married for over 30 years. He found that the more unresolved conflict that they had, the more likely they were to contract a heart disease. Smith concluded that unresolved conflict in your life is as dangerous to your health and to your heart as a regular smoking habit. What do you think God thinks about all this? Remember that God is a perfect and loving father. If you were a perfect and loving father and you watched one of your kids and they weren't sleeping well at night and they were having some health issues because of all the conflict in their life, how would you feel about that? It's no surprise that the Bible has a lot to say about us getting along with each other, working through conflict, and living in unity. This is a big deal to God. And so the question I want to try to answer today is this. How can you resolve conflict well? How can you begin to resolve conflict and deal with criticism in a way that honors God and it actually helps your relationships with other people? I'm going to give you three ways, all of them right from Romans chapter 12. The first one is this. If possible, live at peace. Romans 12, I think, is one of the best chapters and best teachings on how to resolve conflict. If you've never read that chapter before, sometime this week, sit down, read the whole chapter. Here's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Let's break this verse down a little bit. He says, do your part. What's your part? Well, first of all, don't avoid conflict. Because notice that he says, do your part to live in peace. When you avoid conflict, you don't get peace. You think you do, but it's a pseudo kind of peace. It's not a real, lasting peace. Paul says, do your part to live at peace with everyone. Second, what he means is, are you willing to apologize in fact, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you pulled a family member or a coworker aside and you said, hey, I, I just need to apologize to you for what I said back there? Young adults, teenagers, when was the last time you pulled aside one of your siblings or your parents and you said, I should not have behaved that way, would you please forgive me? Parents, when's the last time you talked to one of your kids and you said to your son or your daughter, you know, that's not how I want to speak to you. That's not the mom or a dad that I want to be. Would you please forgive me for what I've said? If your answer to that question is, I don't remember. I mean, I don't know if I've ever said something like that. If I did, it was like months ago, years ago. Then maybe you're not doing your part. Because notice he doesn't say, make sure your spouse is doing their part. He doesn't say, make sure your kids are doing their part. The focus is squarely on us. He says, make sure you're doing your part as I was preparing this message I studied the word conflict in the Bible and I just want to show you a few of these verses from Proverbs Proverbs 29 says an angry person stirs up conflict some of us here today and I don't know how this happened or when this began but you have become an angry person and some of you would say I I know I know I I hate that about myself and I would do anything to stop being so crabby and irritable and angry. I believe that with that kind of humble attitude, God is going to begin to do a work in your life. may not happen this year or next year, but over time, you are going to become more self-controlled with your anger and more gentle in how you speak to other people. Others of you say, I don't have an anger problem. And you don't realize that it's your words and it's your mood That is stirring up the conflict. He says an angry person stirs up conflict. And a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Next verse, Proverbs 16. Says a perverse person stirs up conflict. If it's always a perverse joke, if it's always a four-letter word, that's going to stir up some conflict. And then he says, and a gossip separates close friends. Last verse to show you Proverbs 28 the greedy or the selfish, the person who's just all about themselves, is going to stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Now, here's what I want you to notice I want you to notice the repetition in each of these verses. It says, A blank kind of person stirs up conflict, which means if you are angry, if you're perverse, greedy, or selfish, you are going to have a lot of conflict in your life. You just are. If you spend a lot of time with people who are angry, perverse, greedy, or selfish, you are going to have a lot of conflict in your life. How should we deal with this? Well, I want to show you this verse, Titus chapter 3. It's a great verse. It's interesting. It says, If anyone is causing divisions among you, causing conflict, stern it up. Give them a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with that person. Now, let me just qualify this verse and say that if the person in your life who's stirring it up is your spouse, don't get a divorce. Jesus says, whatever God brought together, don't separate. Try to work through that issue. Try to resolve your conflict, maybe with the help of a counselor or a pastor. But in his book, Power of the Other, Author Henry Cloud, commenting on this verse, Titus 3.10, says that for years he never understood it. He's like, it just seems so harsh to me. You're supposed to give him one warning and then two warnings, and then after that it's like have nothing to do with them? Then Cloud became a leadership consultant who works with businesses and CEOs. Listen to what he writes in his book. He says this, I learned something divisive people cause more harm than whatever good things they bring are worth. In other words, if you've got somebody in your company and they're a pretty good performer, but they're always stirring up conflict and they're causing divisions, Cloud says the negative is always going to outweigh the positive. He goes on, he says this. He says the real issue is that people who habitually do this, who habitually stir up conflict are not willing to look at themselves and try to resolve things. They're not willing to do their part. He says, instead, they prefer to get people to side with them and agree with them rather than create unity and resolution. You know anybody like that? I'll bet if you're in a family or you've been in a church or you work at a business, you do. person who's not interested in resolving the conflict They just want to go around and get everybody to get on their side and just agree with me. And they might walk over to people and go, let me tell you about that person over there. I mean, this is, I don't want to say anything bad, but you you kind of need to know this. What are they doing? They're stirring up conflict. They're causing divisions. Cloud concludes this way. He says, I can't count the number of ugly situations that I've been called to that finally resolved after the boss asks the divisive troublemaker to leave. Let me ask you this question. How much conflict do you have in your life these days? If your honest answer is, I've got kind of a lot. I mean, I go to church and it's like, oh, I don't want to see that person. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going slip, to slip in there. And then you're coming off Thanksgiving and you're thinking about your brother or your sister or your in-laws. And you're like, yeah, I've got a lot of conflict with them. And then you go to work. And you got conflict with your boss or conflict with your coworker? You may need to pull aside a pastor, a godly friend, a counselor and just say to them, "Hey, help me become a peacemaker instead of a conflict creator." Because look at what Paul says again in Romans 12. He says, "Do your part to live in peace with who?" With everyone. Not just the Democrats or the Republicans. But that's how I voted. We stand for the same values. No, 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 no. He says, with everyone. Not just with Christians. Not just with non-Christians. Not just with people who look like you, think like you, dress like you, and behave like you. He says, do your part to live at peace with everyone. And then I love this little tagline that he adds on. He says, as much as possible. It's almost like he's acknowledging. You know, there are some people out there, it is just not possible. I mean, you're going to have conflict with a person like that. It also means that if you have some conflict in your family, it doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong, okay? Every family has conflict. But Paul says, do your part to live at peace with everyone as much as possible. One of the questions that I often get as a teaching pastor here at Eaglebrook is, people will say, you know, I bet you get a lot of critical emails every week. And, you know, anytime you're speaking to 20,000 people about any topic that's gonna to stir up some conflict but when you're talking about God and other religions and money I mean that's really bound to stir it up but my honest answer is I get very little in fact in the nine years or so that I've been here I can only remember three times where I received an email that I thought "Oh, that was really harsh really angry really critical one of those times came about five years ago we were in a series on first Peter and I got assigned to speak on a controversial topic in 1 Peter chapter three. It was so controversial, we considered skipping it. We're like, this is gonna tick people off, let's just not even talk about it and pretend it's not there. But that's never been our MO as a church. We've always tried to press into even hard issues, and so I gave that message that weekend. And after I gave it, my family, we went to the Wisconsin Dells. Get out of town, right? Give the message, (laughs) get out of here. And one night before bed, I happened to check my email. Never do that, by the way, just wait till the morning, you can check it then. But I checked my email right before bed and I got one of the most angry, negative, critical, condescending, harsh emails that I'd ever gotten in my life. And what was interesting is that this woman, she wasn't so much upset with what I said, it was more who I was. It wasn't really the controversial topic itself, she thought I did pretty well with that. But for example, at one point in the message, I had made a joke, kind of to acknowledge that this was a controversial topic. I said, if you're upset about this, you can email me. And then I gave the email address of another staff member. It was a staff member everybody knew. We had a similar name. And so most of the people kind of laughed and understood why I was saying it. She had a completely different interpretation. She said, hey, if you can't take the heat, maybe you should get a different job. If you can't stand up there and have enough spine to be confident in what you're saying, maybe you should just get off the platform and go do something else for a living. And it kind of deteriorated from there. It got even worse. And so that night, I just laid in bed and I stared at the ceiling. I couldn't sleep. Next day, I went to the pool with my kids and I was there, but I wasn't there. I was there physically, but I wasn't there mentally. But I did one thing well, I didn't respond for 24 hours just gave myself a couple of nights to sleep on it and to cool down from it. And then when I wrote her back, I tried to do my part, as much as it was possible, to live at peace with this woman. And so I tried to take responsibility where I could and apologize where I could. I even had other people read it to make sure that my tone was one of love. And then I hit send. And I honestly haven't thought too much about it since. Friends, when you get an email like that, When you have a conversation that leaves you feeling that way, as much as it depends on you, if it's at all possible, do your part to live at peace with everyone. It's the first way to resolve conflict. Here's the second way. Never repay evil with evil. Look at what Paul writes next. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. Let me ask you, who is your enemy these days? Who's that person that when you see them, you go, oh boy. Who's that person that when you hear their name spoken out loud, there's an anger that rises up within you? Who's that person that if something bad happened to them, there would be a little part of you that would secretly rejoice in that? I'm gonna ask you to do something that might turn your stomach a little bit. I'm gonna ask you to do something good for that person this week. You say, I don't wanna do something good for that person. Of course you don't. The natural reaction to seeing an enemy who's hungry is not to give them food, it's to rejoice and say, Yeah, I told you so. But the Bible says, never repay evil with evil. Instead, do good. Pray for that person, help that person. James chapter 1 puts it this way. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. James said, hey, there are some things you should be very quick to do, like listen. There are other things that you should be very slow to do, like speak or to get angry. You know, one of the environments that tends to set me off the most and my temper is competition. I love competition, I love getting on a team and trying to win something, but it can also bring out the worst in me as well. For example, this past fall, my son Hudson was playing in a football game, and midway through the third quarter, the referees had called 12 penalties on Hudson's team and zero on the other team. And we were playing at this other team's home field. So right away I'm like, conspiracy, one of these parents paid off the refs and now there's 12 penalties against us and zero against them. And so I start yelling out things like, call it both ways, throw your flag. How do you not see that? Offsides, holding. These referees are high school students who, you know, may or may not be paid minimum wage. I don't know, but it's a third grade football game. This is very important. Okay. You got to get this right. And so it got so bad that I actually texted one of my friends and I said, oh, could you just pray for me? I am losing my mind. Right after I sent this text, I sat down to just cool off a little bit. And as I did, they called another penalty against our team. And on that play, our quarterback fumbled and the ball was recovered by this other team. So the referee gives the ball to the other team and then starts marking out the 10-yard holding penalty. If you don't know the rules of football, you don't get both the ball and the yards. You either accept the penalty or you decline it. Now, they finally figured this out, but not until after I had shaved three years off my life (laughs) at a third-grade boys football game. I need help. Now, look at what James says again. He says, Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Your anger can never resolve the conflict. It can never bring peace. Your anger can never make things right. In fact, one of the verses that has helped me the most in my life, and I hope it helps you as well, is Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Isn't that true? What about the next time you're standing across from someone who's angry or who's stressed out? What if you try to give a gentle answer? A gentle answer like, you know, I can tell you're really upset. Tell me more why you feel that way. Why don't you shut your face? (laughs) That last one's a trick, okay? I was paying attention. See if you're paying attention. Don't say that, all right? (laughs) But isn't that how it usually goes? You know, one person says something that kind of offends you and makes you defensive, and so then you say something back. And they say something back to you, and the energy level just keeps going up and up until someone breaks the cycle with a gentle answer. A gentle response is something like this Hey, tell me more why you feel that way. Help me understand. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I apologize for my behavior. Sometimes it's as simple as a hug. But I can't tell you how much this verse has helped me in my marriage, my parenting, and my leadership. Because now, whenever I'm standing across from someone who's angry or who's stressed out, I try to train my brain. And you really have to train your brain, by the way. It doesn't come natural. To see, how can I give a gentle answer? How can I diffuse this situation instead of adding more energy to the anger fire? Never repay evil with evil. Here's the third way to resolve conflict well. Leave room for God. Now, this next verse I'm about to read to you you are not going to see it on your next Hallmark card. You're not going to find it in your next self-help book. But I love how the Bible does away with cliches and just gives it to us straight. Here's what Paul writes. He says this, Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. Well, that's interesting. He says, For it's written, and this is God speaking here, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. I recently had someone describe this to me like playing whack-a-mole. You ever played whack-a-mole before? I asked their team to get me some whack-a-mole board, and this is what they came up with. (laughs) A little tight around here lately, apparently, okay? (laughs) Not in the budget, so I don't know if these are bunnies or rabbits or what we got going on here. But here's how you play whack-a-mole. One mole pops up, and you try to whack it. But as that's going on, other moles are popping up into play. So it goes kind of like this. That's the best I've done all weekend. That is fantastic, huh? <laughs> it took some practice to get there. But here's the deal. This is how some people are with their critics. So somebody says to them, you know, I don't like you very much. And we go, boy, well, I don't like you either. And this person says, you know, I don't think you handled that very well. I don't think you're a very good leader and you didn't lead that project. i like, let it better than you could lead it. And we just walk around going like this to everybody who criticizes us. I find this the most lately when it comes to the media. One of my former classmates from high school posted on Facebook a blog about Christians. And from my perspective, it was so judgmental. And it was filled with factual errors. And basically what this article did was it took every fringe element of Christianity, every cuckoo out there, and said, this is how all Christians are. And I thought, that's not fair. And I'm reading this, and I'm getting more frustrated, and I'm getting more angry And then I had this thought, God is my defender. I don't need to play whack-a-mole with every blog that's out there on social media. I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Deuteronomy 32 says it this way, the Lord is your mighty defender. What a thought for some of you this week. Some of you might be being attacked by another person or a group. You need to remind yourself, I serve the Lord, and he is my mighty defender. The Lord is your mighty defender, perfect and just in all of his ways. Your God is faithful and true. He does what is right and fair. Which is why Paul says this again, God speaking. I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Now you might read that and think, that's not my view of God. I always thought of God as a loving God, and God is a loving God. But a part of love is justice, and a part of doing good is punishing that which is wrong. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but there are some of you who had unspeakable things done to you growing up. You were abused, and that image still haunts you to this day, or you were bullied. You were made fun of, and you could still tell me where you were standing when those people said those things about you, still insecure about them to this day as an adult. Some of you were lied to some by someone that you trusted. Some of you were cheated on by someone who said they would never cheat. You were left by someone who said that they would never leave. You were criticized in a way that hurt you deeply. What if you got before God this week? And what if you said, God, vengeance is yours. One day that person is going to have to stand before you and they're going to have to give an account of their life. And you say that you will repay those who deserve it, which means that you don't have to repay them, that you don't have to avenge, that you don't have to get vengeance. You can leave room for the vengeance of God. That's why Martin Luther famously said, Pray and let God worry. I like that. Some of you need to say this week, God, I am tired of carrying this anger. I am tired of holding this grudge. You carry it. You hold it. You worry about it. I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to sleep well tonight. Several years ago, we got an email from a mom who was really upset. She said that our son had been mean to her son on the bus. And this was very surprising because our son had always gotten off-the-charts marks for his behavior and his kindness from his teachers. And when we asked our son about it, he had a radically different story of what had taken place on the bus. So we emailed this woman back, and we tried to take responsibility where we could, and then we hoped that we'd kind of be able to move on. It didn't. Things got worse. In fact, this mom sent us another email that was extremely harsh in tone. made my wife feel attacked and defensive. And then when my wife would see this woman at school, she wouldn't even look at my wife. When my wife would say, hey, how are you doing? She wouldn't say a word, just walk right past her. And so everything in me wanted to retaliate. Everything in me wanted to fire off an angry email and tell her how she was so wrong and how her son was playing a part in this as well and to set the record straight. But then three different times over the course of two days, God brought this verse from 1 Peter chapter 3 to my wife's attention. Had her read it three different times. And we just knew this is what God wants us to do. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you or about your kids. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God wants you to do. Some of us are like, hey, I came to church today. What does God want me to do? This is it. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God wants you to do, and he will bless you for it. And so my wife and I believed that verse. And we sent an email back to this woman where we didn't agree with everything she said, but we tried our best to do our part, to live at peace and to take responsibility. And then at the end, we very intentionally wrote, bless you. A couple months after this, this woman's husband came up to my wife at school and he said, out of the blue, I need to apologize to you about my wife's behavior. He said, we were going through a divorce and we were so stressed out and so angry. And he said, I know she said some things that weren't true and were kind of harsh. I want you to know we love your son and uh, I want to apologize for what happened. I thought about it later on because I found out that he was attending our church and listening to our messages. And I thought, what credibility would I have lost with him if I'm up front talking about, here's how you resolve conflict, and I had just sent off that angry email? It would have felt good for a little while, but it never would have brought lasting peace. And it probably would have blocked the work that God wanted to do in this man's life, healing him and revealing his love to him. Friends, as much as possible, as far as it depends upon you, do your part to live at peace with everyone. Who is that person you need to reach out to this week? Send them an email, make a phone call, send a text, get together face-to-face and just ask them this question. Hey, I want to live at peace. I want to resolve this conflict. How do you think we can do that? You ask that question and you will sleep very well tonight. Let's stand as we close in prayer together at all of our campuses. God, I pray for that person or people here who came to church today and they are just feeling beat up because they've had conflict with another person. And maybe they've been worried about it and maybe they've been up at night And maybe it's a family member or a close friend and they just don't know what to do about it, God. Sometimes it's not possible, but as much as it's possible, I pray that you would speak to that person about how they can live at peace and resolve that conflict. And I pray that they can surrender it to you, God. And that they can let you worry and that they can just begin to sleep easy at night knowing that you are a God who does everything that is fair and is right. And God, I pray for those of us who have a lot of conflict in our life, that maybe we can humble ourselves before you and recognize that we need to grow in becoming more of a peacemaker this year. And I pray that you'd speak to us and show us how to do that. We pray those things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.